Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week at the same time. Uh, check your local listings uh, for times and channels as we are on several times a week, and, uh, but you, you have to check your local listings for when we are on. We're teaching a series from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue that today in chapter 7 as we continue to talk about Melchizedek and uh, uh, being the king of peace and the king of righteousness and, and some of that. And we're going to uh, uh, continue that. But before I do, I want to just tell you that if you missed any of the prior teachings, they are archived on our YouTube page, and they are also available on our iTunes uh, channel. And there is also an RSS feed for Android devices. The easiest way to access any of those are simply to go to our website, and that address is on the screen. If, if not, it's right here. And you can, uh, right there, there will be an icon that will be a direct link to our YouTube page, to our iTunes, and to our Android feed. Now, if you'd like to, you can sign up for those, and it's no charge to it, and you can watch them at your leisure and your convenience at any time. Let me also quickly mention before I do, because I'm usually just run out of time before I get to this, but I wanted to just mention to you that we have a lot of resources that I believe will be a blessing to you. The first one is the book I wrote called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and that is available by going to our website. You can also get it from Amazon.com, but you can also easily get it from our website or call the number on the screen. This book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's from the book of Revelation, and it's really dealing with what the seven churches in Asia needed to repent of in order to be able to move from an old covenant to a new covenant understanding. Uh, the second book that I wrote is called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and that book is available also. And what this book is about is from the text that I mentioned last week, Are You Tired? Are You Weary? Are You Burned Out on Religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And this book is about what flows from the incredible posture of rest. My newest book, I think, is one of the most important pieces of work I've done to date. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And what this book is about is it marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. And it shows you how that what replaced the law was the government of the kingdom not rules on rocks, but relationship. Not law, but love. Not fear, but faith. And it talks about the transition uh, in, from living out of a rule-based system into a spirit-governed, uh, uh, Holy Spirit-governed life. Those books will bless you. One other thing quickly, and that is our message of the month club. This is a card here that we have. But you can go to my website and sign up for our message of the month club. It is $7 a month or $70 a year, and we send out a message from somewhere where we're at, uh, and we preach uh, a message, and we send it out what we feel like would be a blessing. That's part of our partner base that helps us touch a lot of people through television. So make yourself available to those products if you would. And I want to get into the Word again. Uh, Hebrews, the seventh chapter, said, For this Melchizedek, we're reading from Hebrews, the seventh chapter, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, is the priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first by, by interpretation, 
the king of righteousness, and after that also the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now, I want to uh, look into a couple of different things in this, and what I want to talk about today a little bit, we're going to just take our time and unpack this, because I believe it is very important to just really look at a lot of nuances here. This king, of, uh, this, 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 this Melchizedek, we see very clearly from chapter 6, we went back and reiterated that last week, this Melchizedek is Jesus. Jesus is this Melchizedek. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he is the priest of the Most High God. And that's what we're going to put an emphasis on today is he is the priest of the Most High God. Now, let me just talk a little bit again about this Melchizedek who is the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace, and he's the priest of the Most High. I want to come back here to a picture that I've been teaching, and it, it's it, it, in the book called From Law to Grace here. I really do exhaust the subject a whole lot more. But this Melchizedek, one of the most powerful, I believe, New Testament pictures, happens at the Jordan River in Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist is standing in the bank of the river Jordan, he looks up over the bank of the Jordan River while all Israel has gone out to this, this, this crazy man dressed in a leather girdle and meat is locust and wild honey, and he's out here in this wilderness baptizing folks. Jesus descends down over the bank of this Jordan River, and when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says to him, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus' response to John the Baptist is, Suffer to be so now, for we must fulfill all righteousness. And that really began to set my mind thinking, we must fulfill all righteousness. It really uh, be a key to this verse to me. And I begin to think about Jesus and his baptism, and I'm thinking to myself, does Jesus need to be baptized? for the remission of his sin? I don't think so. So there's got to be something more going on in this river, and there is a lot of stuff going on in this river that I won't be able to exhaust in this segment, but you can get it from my book. But here's one of the main things I begin to realize, that I looked in the book of Leviticus and I found out that if you're going to inaugurate a new priest, he had to be washed with water, running water. Now, what I want you to see here is that John the Baptist is the son of Zechariah. I'll, I'll come back and reiterate some of this as we come into other segments. John the Baptist is the son of Zechariah, and Zechariah is a Levitical priest. His mother, Elizabeth, is also from a priestly lineage. So that would make John the Baptist have priestly lineage on both sides of his uh, family tree, if you will. It would very possibly make him the heir apparent to become the high priest of the Levitical system. But when, the, when Jesus walks down over the bank of the Jordan River and John the Baptist, who is a priest after the order of Levi, is about to baptize Jesus, if you will, inaugurate or wash the new priest, what John is doing here is he is relinquishing his Levitical priesthood to another priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
One of the things that makes me think that is because earlier, and we already taught this in probably around the second chapter of Hebrews, is that it declares that without an oath he could not be made a priest, but he was made a priest when his father said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The first time that God acknowledges, first time the heavens are open, as a matter of fact, hundreds of years the heavens have been closed, but the moment the heavens open for the first time after hundreds of years of dark ages is when Jesus came up out of the water, Jordan, and the heavens opened, and His Father said, That's my Son, and whom I'm well pleased. I submit to you that that's the moment God the Father was announcing a new priest after the order of Melchizedek. And one of the things we will see, if we have not already seen it through the book of Hebrews, it is, is that the book of Hebrews tells you that if there is a change of priesthood, there must of necessity be a change of law. So the new covenant law is a totally different law than the law of Moses. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, but the fact that the new priest was inaugurated should have screamed to every Pharisee and scribe standing on the bank of that Jordan River right there that day that there's a new priest on the scene. And shortly after that, John said, for he must increase and I must decrease. So there's a brand new priest on the scene after the order of Melchizedek. And, and the whole fact that there's a new priest tells us there's a change of law and there's a change of covenant. So that this high priest, hallelujah, is the mediator of a better covenant. Everything about the book of Hebrews is how Jesus is superior to uh, the, how Jesus and the new covenant is so much more superior to the old covenant. Now, one of the things, again, I want you to see is that, number one, he was the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so, uh, after the order of Melchizedek, exactly, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, the second thing that I want you to see is that this word, uh, Most High, this name of God, there are all kinds of names of God throughout the Scripture. Let me, let me say this. A dispensation is simply any period of time in which God chooses to dispense Himself. So in the beginning, God, uh, God, God is the, created the heavens and the earth. The name of God that is used there is the name Elohim. And the Elohim name of God has to do with His creation. He appears then to, uh, he appears to uh, 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 like I said in the first part of Genesis, He's Elohim, He's the Creator. So He dispenses Himself as the Creator God. Then He appears to Abraham by the name of God Almighty. God Almighty is the name El Shaddai. He is the uh, God of provision, the God of blessing. He also appears to Abraham as uh, the priest of the Most High. Abraham is the only one, first of all, that has a peek into uh, this priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is uh, the priest of El Elyon, and that name of God is the Most High. Now let me say this, then you come into uh, the, the Old Covenant, especially, especially during the time of the Mosaic system, the predominant names of God that are used there are the Jehovah names. He's Jehovah Jireh, He's Jehovah Nissi, He's Jehovah Sidkenu, uh, all of the different Jehovah names that you see. Now you say, well, I can't remember all of those names. Well, let me just say this to you. If you can't remember all of those names, just remember one name. 
Because in this one name is the fullness of the Godhead body and that bodily, and that name is Jesus. Jesus was the sum total, of the whole uh, totality. He was God wrapped up in human flesh so that if you say the name of Jesus, behind the name of Jesus is everything that God was and still is in those different dispensations. Now what I'm after specifically is that there are uh, every, every time that the name Most High is mentioned, El Elyon, it always has something to do with the most holy place, the third dimension of the tabernacle of Moses. It has to do with Melchizedek. And it has something to do with the mercy seat. For for instance, Psalm chapter 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. The term there is El Elyon. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and that name of God is El Shaddai there. Matter of fact, Psalm 91, I think, uses just about every one of God's names. But he's simply saying this to you. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Where's the secret place? It's not a riddle or an enigma when you really understand. Because the tabernacle of Moses had three courts. It had an outer court, it had a holy place, and it had a most holy place. Now the third dimension of the tabernacle was the secret place. And in the secret place was the place where only the high priest could go once a year with the blood of atonement. And that high priest under the Levitical system would go in with the blood of bulls and goats and he would sprinkle blood on a mercy seat. That never let mercy free. All that did was keep judgment bound. But this high priest has gone into the mercy seat and sprinkled his own blood and is an anchor now for the soul, both sure and steadfast. In that tabernacle of Moses, in that secret place, the key piece of furniture that was in there was a mercy seat. So what I want to declare to you is that this Melchizedek priesthood always flows from a mercy seat. That's powerful. He is a minister of mercy and a minister of grace. And this blood-sprinkled mercy seat, hallelujah, is, 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 is so pictured. Let me show you this picture as well. I, I saw this many, many years ago. But in John chapter number 20, early on resurrection morning, Mary of Magdala ran down, and Mary ran down to the tomb of Jesus. And when she got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Now that to me, first of all, speaks of the fact that Jesus so met all of the criteria and the demands of the law and then took it to the cross, nailed it to the cross, delivering us and redeeming us from the curse of the law and brought us into a place of mercy. But when Mary stoops down and she looks into this tomb, she sees, John chapter 20 says, an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. Now, if you could picture this in your mind, what's between these two angels at the head and one at the foot is what is called our propitiation. Now, the word propitiation is a Greek word, mercy seat. 
So what Mary just found was she found an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot. And between these two angels, if you will, is our mercy seat, the death, burial, and resurrection, the, the, the blood of sprinkling that sprinkles better things than the blood of Abel because Abel's blood cries for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cries for mercy. But what I want you to see was Mary just found the real Ark of the Covenant of which the one in the tabernacle of Moses was only a shadow. And so she just found the real chest of the covenant of the Lord, the real mercy seat, and the real substance, Ark of the Covenant. She just found the most holy place, if you will. And I love how the writer of Psalm gets a hold of this. When he says, uh, he says to them, he says, uh, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now watch this. To, to, to abide in the secret place is not a mystical uh, place on a planet three miles south of Mars. It is simply standing fast and not backing down from your profession of faith where you can, you can abide, listen, you can abide in the mercy seat and in the mercy and in the shadow of God. And then he goes on to say, uh, listen, he that abides in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Uh, and he said, then you don't have to worry about the, the pestilence and the, the terror that flies by day. And he says, but he goes on to say that you can trust, you can trust what's under his feathers or under his wings. When we think about that, we, we, we once again, we, we, I don't know if we have a full grasp of what he's saying here, but what's under his wings is the finished work of Jesus Christ in his redemptive work, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I want to say to you and everybody watching, you can trust what's under his wings. What a strong consolation and hope that ought to be. You can trust that the blood of sprinkling is always before God as he ministers from this most holy place. See, he's the priest of the Most High, and he is ministering to you from a mercy seat. Hallelujah. I, 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 we, we, we did some teaching back some time ago on the stuff that was inside that ark. One of the things that was in the ark was the unbroken tablets of the law. The unbroken tablets of the law signify to me the fact that Jesus completely, totally, and, and unequivocally kept every jot and tittle of the law so that, you know, one of the things that I, I taught when I taught this is that the first time that the word ark is used in the scripture when it talks about, uh, you know, when, when, when Moses built this Ark of the Covenant. But this word ark is a Hebrew word, its first usage, and its first time it's translated, it was translated not as an ark, it was translated as a coffin. A coffin, yes, a coffin. And the usage of it is in the book of Genesis where Joseph gave commandment concerning his bones. And they carried his coffin out of Egypt. And so when I saw that the first usage of the word for ark was a coffin, the Holy Spirit said to me, the ark is a coffin. I said, Lord, a coffin? He said, yes, it's a coffin. I said, well, what was in it? He said, the unbroken tablets of the law. I said, what are you saying to me, Holy Spirit? He said, I'm trying to tell you that you became dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married 
to another, even to him who's raised from the dead. So the ark was a coffin for the law. Jesus completely took the handwriting of ordinance that was against us and nailed it to the tree. So the ark became a coffin. The second thing that was in that ark was the rod of Aaron that budded. And a lot of things could be said about that ark, but simply said this, it was the rod of Aaron that budded, and out of the Aaronic lineage came the Levitical priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood. And uh, what I heard the Spirit say to me is that this ark became a coffin to the Levitical priesthood so that out of this, it's in the ark, it's in the coffin. You don't see this stuff. It's fulfilled in, in the ark. And so that there was another priest that arose after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's powerful to me. The third thing that was in there was the golden pot of manna. When God gave them the manna in the wilderness, He said to them, I'm going to give them this manna to see if they will obey my law or no. Of course, you know the answer was no. They didn't even listen concerning uh, the manna. And so uh, that manna, they, they, ate, they even loathed the light bread, but they did not obey God's law. So Jesus became the true bread that came down from heaven that did keep every jot and tittle so that it's laid up before the Lord as if you kept every rule. It is, those things are in the coffin. So your rebellion's in the coffin, the Levitical priesthood is in the coffin, and, and uh, the, uh, the, the unbroken tablets of the law are in the coffin so that as if it is covered up now, I love this, by a blood-sprinkled mercy seat where now you don't have to be shy or back away in fear of approaching this God but that you can come boldly to a throne of grace and obtain mercy and find a grace that will help. The, uh, the next thing I want to say about this as well is that, you know, one of the things I noticed in the book of Daniel, he talks about, and I don't want to be eschatological in this segment, but in the book of Daniel he says this, And the time came that the saints of the Most High, possess the kingdom. I think it is imperative that we look at this name of God that's used. It was a certain kind of saint that began to possess the kingdom. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So it is a saint, saints that have an understanding of a mercy seat. It's the saints who have an understanding of the most holy place that are going to take the kingdom as a part of a, if you will, as a part of a ongoing Melchizedek priesthood. Because he tells us in the book of Revelation that we'll be priests of God. And our priesthood this time is not offering the blood of bulls and goats. Our priesthood is a function that ministers from a mercy seat with a ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself by not counting men's sin against them. That's the kind of ministry that we need to have in this Melchizedek priesthood. And I believe you can trust what's up underneath of his feathers and what's up underneath of his wings. I believe in this confidence there is a protection that flows from this, uh, you know, a protection. He said, I, I, he'll keep you lest you dash your foot against a stone. He, he will give his angels charge concerning you. 
to keep you in all your ways. A, a, a last thing that I want to say about the most holy place as well is I thought in, in Matthew 6, and I talked this back some time ago when we were doing some on the book of Matthew. But he says to them, and when you pray, enter your closet, and your Father which sees in secret, see that's a key word, will reward you openly. When you enter your closet, shut the door. And your Father which sees in secret, see the secret place is the most holy place. So we're not talking about a physical, literal closet somewhere in your house. We're talking about entering into the secret place. What's that mean? That means I enter in to praying from the posture and position of knowing that my sin has been forgiven, that God is not holding anything against me. It is a position and a posture of confidence in praying on the basis of the blood of sprinkling that's in this mercy seat. That I can have confidence and trust and know He'll give His angels charge concerning me. Lest I dash my foot against the stone, He'll give me protection based on the fact that the stuff that, that's happening, that it is not coming from God as a judgment. That I can stand in this place of confidence and pray. And when I pray, I pray from a mercy seat and my faith goes to another level. And when I pray, and this is one of the key words you need to do, you need to shut the door. Shut the door to what? Well, you might need to shut the door to the internet. Don't go look up what you're, you're, you're dealing with physical problems. Don't go to the internet and see what's my next symptom. Shut the door. When, when fear wants to grip you because you just got a report that didn't sound good, stand in faith and shut the door. Shut the door to all of the voices that are around you of doubt and fear and unbelief or somebody coming to you saying, what did you do wrong that God is punishing you? Shut the door. And I'm helping somebody today. I want to minister from a mercy seat. I want to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Our key heavenly priest is already beyond the veil making intercession for you. Hallelujah. The confidence and the trust is you can trust what's under His wings. What's that mean? You can trust what Mary saw in that tomb, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, we have access by faith into this grace and we can trust what is up underneath of His wings. And then when we go forth as ministers and saints of the Most High, everywhere we go, we distribute the kingdom because we are ministering from a mercy seat. I think the world doesn't want to see a balled up fist hand. That's how we represent so many times God to the world. I think instead we need to have a hand outstretched and extended with mercy, with grace, and with favor and declare that to a world that says, draw near. God's arms are open to you. We're about out of time for this segment. I want you to take a moment, if you would, to uh, call the number on the screen. And uh, if you can, uh, and you can help us, we really could use your partnership. It takes, as you know, if you follow our ministry very much, you know we don't spend very much time at all raising money. We just simply are, believe God will meet the need, and so far He's done that. But it takes your faithful partnership and your obedience to the Spirit to do that. Uh, if you can do that, call that number on the screen and sow a seed into the ministry. You can also go to our website. Right there is the link. There's a place where you can give via credit card or debit card, and you can, uh, you can give that way. You can also set up a monthly debit to become a partner with us there or sign up for our Message of the Month Club, and that helps us to take the gospel around the world. Your faithful partnership is so appreciated and so needed in this hour. And we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for partnering with us to be able to do this. Tune in again next week as we continue to talk about Melchizedek, and we're going to talk about 
tithing from a new covenant perspective. And I think you're going to be blessed. Probably something you'll very rarely hear on TV. Tell your friends about us. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.